episode one. Yay. So, I, <laughs> so uh, I think we should start with a brief uh, bio. Just, uh, of course, this is not about us. This is about the series, but should be nice. Anyway, you can go first, Adam. Okay, uh, my name's Adam. I'm 33 years old. I uh, live in Liverpool in the United Kingdom. And uh, I started reading the series about uh, six or seven months ago and sort of quite quickly ploughed through the, the main ten book series. And uh, that's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah, so my name's uh, Jonathan. I'm just almost uh, 17 years old. I live in Israel. I've uh, really... I, I had these abortive little skims of the first one or two books a while back. That was a long time ago. I really started reading the books back like a year ago. And I uh, had a bit of a hold up through the fifth book, but eventually I finished in July. So let's get into it. So here we have the series that it actually opens with two poems. One is like more like opening this series, one of the especially for the book, this book. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you, um, you have any notes on that? Um, I. I mean, it's it's quite unusual, really, because normally when I'm reading a fancy book, I tend to skip over the poems at the beginning of the chapters, um, and and like in Lord of the Rings, all the songs and stuff like that, I normally just kind of pass those by. But um, something about the the poems, and the, I like the fact that they're not always necessarily poems. Sometimes, like a historical extract, something yeah. about those kinds of a uh, seem to draw me in. Where normally it's content that I would kind of skip over as I'm hungrily chasing through the plot but yeah no i I quite like them i didn't have uh much on these initial ones uh for the prologue and the the first two chapters but uh, later on some of them are really excellent yeah well i I really like the very first poem which is basically about like opening the book of the fallen because you know even after finishing the series well no cutting the spoilers it has a bit of an uh, extra meaning just that fallen and anything also the second poem the one with the shadows oh my god we're like you realize how like stupid you are. You missed everything when when you first read it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. This, this is going to be a running theme this episode. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so into the prologue. Uh, what do you think about it? I think it's great. Um, I think it's it's very sort of um, quite uh, unusually for the books. It's quite stereotypically fantasy. You've got this kind of young idealistic kid. And he's talking to the sort of bitter old veteran and, you know, I want to be a soldier and the veteran's telling him it's a bad idea, but the kid thinks he knows what's what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And uh, obviously, as as we see, uh, Ganos doesn't follow the advice, but it's uh, it's a nice little chapter uh, and it introduces sort of the turmoil and the... The, the problems that are sort of bubbling away at the at the very top of the empire between the emperor and this uh, this interesting character Lucine or Sally or whatever she's calling herself these days. Shout out Throne Master. Yeah, Throne Master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Gados because he's just this little smart ass kid and he's just like, oh, I know this, I know that. Oh, what what's going That's on with that? I know Dad. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's interesting when we start this this weather vein. I mean, how many uh, books start with the weather vein? They, you know, it's kind of reminding me of these, those gargoyles from The Hunchback. Remember them? Yeah, yeah, I love those guys. <laughs> <laughs> go down, Ganos. Go see what's going in the mouse. Yeah, 
but it's I, it's it's great. It's a nice bit of world building, and you get the sort of idea that the, this uh, Malazile and Mock Mock's hold in particular don't sound very um, don't sound particularly sort of uh, extravagant or anything like that. It sounds like a pretty grimy place, uh, yeah, and obviously Malazile this right. Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, the thing I like, one of the things that uh, the veteran, which his name is Whiskey Jack from my IP, I haven't caught that, um, when he says, like, the best life is the one the gods don't notice. Which yeah. It, that's a big thing in the series. I mean, it's kind of a problem when you live in a world with uh, living gods who walk the earth. Yeah, you really need to get out of their way or you get into their crossfire. Uh, yeah, you need to be really unremarkable to kind of escape their attention for your entire life because one way or another they tend to get uh, sort of tangled up in everyone's lives. So it's a, it's an interesting idea to try and avoid them, but I'm not sure oh, how you could do to achieve that. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, the the special thing about this prologue, I mean, it feels like it could be basically in any point of the series. If you had no idea, you were, I don't think you would pick it up and say, see, it was a prologue. People are talking, oh, the Empress this, um, uh, that's him that, uh, you know, the Emperor's not going to like this. I mean, they're, they're not um, explaining anything to you. It's yeah. You. It's, um, see, that's a, that's a thing. You're like, it's sink or swim. Uh, either yeah. you're going to swim in this world or not. Yeah. I see you have something about a fiddler and the, um, being, being so young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure by the end of the series, fiddler's like, pushing 40 or in his 40s and here uh, he's sort of um a couple of years older than Gar- uh, Parron uh, yeah. according to uh, according to Gano's anyway but of course being a uh, sort of 12 year old kid he might have a bit of a warped idea of how old people are in relation to himself and things or, like that so or you could chant the ancient mantra of the timeline doesn't matter yeah <laughs> no I mean there are lots of uh, these inconsistencies in the series uh, um I can't really get into because spoilers, but uh, just they don't. I guess they don't really matter that much. Don't yeah. Think, don't think about it too much. <laughs> yeah, I think with this book being written, something like there was a seven-year gap between uh, this yeah, and Dead House Gates. Took a few years to uh, get this book sold, uh, Erickson. Um, although actually, Dead House Gates uh, came out only one year after this book. It was like it took years to be uh, published. So. Yeah, because I think this was written and ready to go, and he'd spent years trying to sell it, and in the meantime, he'd started writing the others, so he was ready to go, type of thing. Yeah, well, so uh, as we were, we've uh, promised, we already have some names for this prologue. We'll be doing this chapter for chapter, just so it's still in context. On the Reddit thread, we posted in our Malzahn, we have a few names. Uh, the first one, user Yolis. Uh, he says, it begins, which is nice. Um, my mm-hmm. favorite is um, Mousetrap by Scratch, or however you pronounce that. Um, uh, his flair is fucking the sale. Oh. <laughs> uh, I like the next two. I like uh, Advice Unheeded by Dre and uh, Another Soldier by Tumblehawk, because one of the great things about that prologue is when... Um, Parron is talking to uh, what we assume is Whiskey Jack uh, when uh, <laughs> when he says um, 
the world doesn't need another wine merchant and it, it says that we, it says the veteran bites back the obvious answer and sort of Ganos takes that as a victory as if he's like yeah I've told him when really what what's happening is you just no one needed to say that the world doesn't need another soldier it should be obvious but it kind of goes over his head and I kind of like that he's he's so cocky and doesn't quite get where it's going yeah, uh, we do have one name from Facebook by one uh, Rupa Kelly. He calls it Mox Gaze, which is a, a nice play on the vein. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, really cool. And, uh, well, this prologue is pretty short, which I guess we could be thankful for. Uh, it's only like eight pages. In. But we have time for this. Yeah, prologues are literally seven pa- 70 pages long. You ever read a Wheel of Time? Sorry? Oh, yeah, the Wheel of Time. You ever read it? Yeah, I got sort of four or five books in. I thought that had a really great prologue with the Luz Theron where he's yeah. walking around the castle and he's lost his mind, and that was really cool. You know they made a TV pilot about that one. It's hard. Uh, I believe it was on some uh, <laughs> yeah. not nondescript channel in uh, over in America, but it was, never. Uh, so they could keep the rights. Uh, yeah. Well, it's just so they can prove that they still intend to do something with it. Or, uh, and the director died a few days later. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Jesus, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, I guess we can move on to chapter one. You know, uh, sorry to get into poetry <laughs> again, <laughs> but the uh, the opening poem here, it's like sad. It's like talking about the yeah, title's uh, Mother's Lament, which um, it's basically talking about that this mother sees her kid who's now a soldier, and I guess it basically reflects uh, Pan, and uh, he didn't listen to Whiskey Jack, and he's a soldier, and it reflects all the end of innocence that you see. In this yeah. Uh, it also, I think, echoes uh, the, the Riga stuff because she's uh, obviously lost, uh, but what's the thing that she keeps saying? Two sons oh, and, yeah, and, and a husband. Get 10 and... points or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you know it's about this like uh, procession and uh, right here at the beginning of uh, cavalry, whatever, and here at the beginning of the. Chapter where we have Riga and the uh, unnamed Fisher Girl. We have them sitting uh, a procession of miles on cavalry, which doesn't end well. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> the character of Riga is pretty interesting. I mean, this is pretty, it, like she's just, like an out of the way wax witch in some like village. I, I really wonder what, what power a wax witch has. What is a wax witchery? <laughs> I think later on in the chapter, uh, when Aminus and Cotillion turn up, it's kind of implied that the souls of her dead husbands and sons are sort of retained in these candles that she burns every night. Yeah, but what's um, that got to do with the, uh, all the uh, prophecy she's about? Uh... I mean, she 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 lays on this this prophecy on the Fisher Girl, which uh, I mean, obviously this is me second time reading the series, and I was sat there reading this chapter, and I was like, I don't remember any of this stuff, but it's all everything she says basically happens in the next sort of ten minutes later. The prophecy comes true. It's uh, it's really interesting, but it's something that completely passed me by first time around. It was just. Uh, I, yeah. I can't explain it. It's just one of those things that just doesn't really seem relevant at the time. You're just like, oh, it's just the ramblings of an old woman, and you kind of move on. Uh, it's only when you know what you know that you sort of go, oh, wow, this 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 rigger, she she knows what's going on. Uh, like, is was it like that you're like going through the book saying, oh, I, the book one sucks, but I have to finish it before uh, I can go to the cool stuff because that's the prevailing sentiment. 
um, Reddit, for instance. How did you get into the series? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have the problem at all. Um, I got into the series because I've been waiting for uh, a, uh, the uh, yeah, waiting for George Martin to finish the Winds of Winter for the yeah, past whatever <laughs> three or four Can't years sorry. and start to get a bit antsy. So everyone keeps recommending Malazan whenever it comes up on Reddit, and I'm like, all right, I'll give Malazan a try. Our fantasy. <laughs> should yeah, it should really be merged with our Mars on these. <laughs> but um i never i didn't have the problem that a lot of people have with and i get that what the problem is is that nothing's really explained to the reader it's just like this is what's happening there's a situation there's some characters in it let's see what happens and take it from there which is sort of quite unusual i think and a, a lot of people like to know what's going on and have things sort of explained to them i was just enjoying this kind of crazy ride with all this stuff going on i mean in this chapter we've got these two guys turning up and unleashing these hellhounds on all these cavalry and then in the next chapter we've got all this other crazy stuff going on and i was like i have no idea what's going on but i love it it's great there's <laughs> there's explosions there's death there's yeah. <laughs> Uh, actually, uh, I'm sorry to get a bit of ahead of myself, but I think, and going back again, I think Erickson does make a bit of a half-hearted attempt to explain things. Like uh, in chapter two, you have like talking to oh the Warrens, the you know they're the paths of sorcery. Um, you know um, the Warrens work like this, but uh, not really. I mean, yeah. Anyway. He it's a very uh, minimalistic approach to exposition that he takes, whereas instead of explaining sort of where all these characters have come from and what they're thinking about and where they're going to be going next and all the rest of this stuff, it's very much, here's what's happening now, and by the way, this is a bit of the mechanics about how the world works, and let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, getting on to what, I, what actually happens later in the chapter, so, you know, it's like we have the, this whole scene with uh, Manus and Cotillion, which they basically take over the Fisher Girl, and then we basically jump to the aftermath, in which we see some guy uh, checking out Lorne. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, the description of the Gore really got me, like description of like that slaughtered uh, Razan, uh, a cavalry people, just in the middle of the road. No one knows what, what the fuck is going on. It's uh, it just really got me, like these birds are, uh, I think Parent tells Lorne, uh, the birds are descending, are fighting over the eyes of the dead or something like, wow. Yeah. And I think it, as an opening chapter, if you compare it to, like, say, I think uh, the first chapter of Wheel of Time is Rand and his father pushing the cart to the market. <laughs> the first the first chapter of the Game of Thrones is uh, Ned and... The, oh, well, Ned beheading yeah. the guy. Um, the first chapter of Lord of the Rings is getting ready for Bilbo's 171st birthday. And here we've got hellhounds destroying a, <laughs> a, a legion of uh, cavalry troops just uh, yeah. just because. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so, yeah, you know, one of the things I really like about the series, like, it's the detail, okay? Like, uh, like there's this part where uh, Ganos and Lauren are basically discussing, like, uh, how looking for these, like, this man and the girl who are, like, disappearing, disappeared. So it's like, it's the details, it's like, this little thing in a huge, impossible world it is just these mooring poles in a floodplain. Like, it, I, I'm not sure if I'm entirely clear right now, but um, it's the smallest of the small things, like mooring poles, and the hugest of the few, huge things, like gods on the earth. And that, that's what makes it epic. In the yeah. 
yeah, it's it's how this sort of minute detail sort of sets them on the path to finding out what's happened to this this Fisher girl and the and the father and yeah. where 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 these people have gone and they're the only ones who potentially have survived this massacre and they're trying to track them down and it's just from these little details that Lorne picks up on. So yeah, she's she's pretty smart. I actually I actually really liked Lorne as a character. I think I think she's she's pretty good. Yeah. The one thing that gets me is, like, how did Ganos get so cynical? I mean, he sees uh, one side, he's, uh, he's instantly old. So, like, say, oh, I'm not young anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's hard it's to kind of... To, I would think it would take a little time for him to, like, process uh, stuff. I don't, oh, no. I don't know. I mean, maybe he's just in shock. If, I don't know. We don't know exactly if this is the very first sort of action he's seen, how fresh he is out of joy. He's, it... he's basically fresh out of, like, the, the uh, whatever in uh, Untime, and he's like, oh, I'm not going to do anything, this is it, Kokan, no one's going to send me anywhere, cool, and bam, slaughter. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think he's, I mean, we see in the prologue that at 12, he's pretty sort of sure of himself already, and then he sees this horrible uh, scene of this massacre, which will sort of put hairs on anyone's chest. And I think by the time Lorne comes and he's sort of very frank and he just sort of tells her how it is, I think he's just had enough for the day. <laughs> he's just, yeah. He can't be bothered putting on his, his airs and graces. He's just going to say, look, this is the situation. This is how I feel about it. I'm not going to, you know, see to all the formalities. That's how it is. And, uh, you know, I'm grown up now. I've seen things other people will never see. Uh, so I'm broken, basically. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, Lauren. Lauren is a, is a, is she's a real, really well built character, and not just physically. <laughs> um, yeah, she's like she's a she's you can see why she's the adjunct to the Empress. Way she's like one harbage. She's like uh, I would say like there's this one part like I'm not one for modesty. Come in. Yeah. <laughs> after like the involvement after the arrival of the Imperial. House a little later on in the chapter. Um, yeah, she she's not shy, uh, and and that's one of the things I like about Malazan is there's the strong women who are sort of yeah. strong sort of characters who have agency about themselves, and sort of the gender is almost irrelevant. You know, any of the characters uh, in in Malazan you could change the gender of pretty, pretty much. much yeah without it, it really affecting how they act, because the women and the men behave exactly the same uh, sort of to each other. They, they act the same, they talk the same, they have similar motivations, and so that's that's sort of really sort of refreshing to read. Yeah, that is one of the things that, that like makes uh, Malzahn uh, distinctive. Um, yeah, so then, then we have this seed about, like, basically we're tracking through the recruiting uh, Born has uh, gone on to probably, uh, if someone disappeared, it's just probably, like, gone to the Imperial Army. We have this, uh, Staff Sergeant Erdogan, and he's going on about how, like, uh, ev everyone in Nico kind of is an idiot, like, this little kid in, uh, pig covered in pig shit, and they're like, stories don't make you bleed, stories don't, uh, uh, that is, like, the stories that they attract you to go and joining the army, which is, uh, it's, uh, it's a really good point. I mean, it also ties into the theme of the chapter, which is, uh, like and and of innocence, like there's the Fisher girl's innocence is gone. Daniel Gano's innocence is gone. Um, and uh, I know there's something I like. Uh, anyway, you know, 
so then we meet this guy Topper. Now he's a bit of a rare bird. Uh, what do you think of him? I I actually really like Topper, and I think uh, Paran is unnecessarily rude to him. Um, I get that he's a claw, and nobody likes claws, and all the rest, but the guy's turning up and he's offering you a drink and something to eat and he's being very nice to you and he's going to escort you the rest of the way your journey and Ganon is just just doesn't have any any time for him at all he's just like, I don't eat with claws I don't want anything to do with you and he's kind of again, it's sort of his his arrogance and his cockiness and how how sure of himself he is, particularly after what he's just been through. Um, We start to get a really Sort of good idea for the type of character that that sort of that Garrett Ganos is, um, but yeah, I think he's a bit unfair. I never really got a sense of Ganos as like arrogant. He's like not so much arrogant as like uh, he has no he has little tact. Like he thinks he's above the maybe that is arrogant. So he's like he's above uh, the the tact of uh, not speaking and not uh, like shooting your mouth off. Um, yeah, which is kind of sad because for instance, someone hate everyone hates nobles in this world, like literally, uh, which kind of makes it pointless to be a noble. Uh. Yeah, although they do still seem to be pretty well connected. Yeah, uh, they, you know, it's I think he has a line where he's speaking to Lorne and he says that it'll be arranged for him to get a placement, uh, uh, I think, in the capital. Yeah, and not necessarily arranged by him. Uh, I don't think he's very happy about this being arranged. I think he expects that his family will take care of it to keep him safe. Um, and it's not necessarily what he wants. But you do get the idea that even though everyone hates the nobles and the emperor sort of led a, a, a pogrom against them, that, that they are still... They still have power, and obviously that's why people right. resent them so much, because they have the money and they have the power and yeah. all the rest of those trappings that come with it. Nope. I get this this uh, the sense, especially this first chapter. That there's a, it's really otherworldly. It's like I don't think I don't see that much in fantasy because in uh, most uh, most fantasy series you're basically locked into the like this culture is a pastiche of some culture in like red, the real world. For instance, yeah. Dothraki and uh, the Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones are obviously Mongols. Uh, mm. Westeros is obviously medieval Europe. Lord of the Rings, Gondor, eh, Rohan is obviously Anglo-Saxon England. But the thing is, I, I was actually trying to explain this uh, to some guy. Uh, on the internet today, the Maza is asking me what time period is, and so I said I couldn't really place it. Like, um, there is kind of gunpowder, like the uh, Marin mar- munitions. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, the munitions. But <laughs> although the, the magic is like way more important, the technology and stuff, it's like it's it's otherworldly. It's not familiar like uh, the Shire, which is obviously rural England and something. It's a uh, this shadowy world you don't know much about, but say it just get, it gets illuminated as the more you go in uh, yeah like. i think i think a lot of the otherworldliness uh to me uh, stems from the fact that rather than being a lot of fantasy writing is based on sort of a version of western europe yeah. uh probably in medieval times whereas here seven cities uh the area which comes up in later books is is very much of a sort of Middle Eastern African type setting, and uh, Genabacus feels like a, a similar kind of uh, Asian uh, sort of. I mean, I I, I picture Genabacus as being like uh, Assassin's Creed One, 
basically, you know, with, yeah, <laughs> with the jumping from all the rooftops and oh, there's uh, sort of bus, bustling marketplaces and that's yeah, they're just that. Sorry, yeah, what did I say? <laughs> you know, actually, uh, yeah, but... is it basically reminds me of your like your average D and D setting. Like, uh, you have the there's magic, there's the priests of the X and Y god, there's uh, these armies with cool name with uh, cool names like Caldan Brood, the Crimson Guard, so on. Seventies um, is actually pretty diverse. I mean, you have the uh, Middle Eastern uh, fanatic dudes, and you have the Jakut. Uh, I think we can stop there. Because... <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. Uh, then I, I noticed there's a thing when the, when uh, Topper is leading uh, Ganos to the uh, Imperial War and they're telling them that like people people who aren't uh, in the uh, army who aren't who are ignorant they come up with all kinds of uh, superstitions about magic and stuff, which is interesting because in this world it's pretty it's obvious that magic is omnipresent. I mean, all the armies have uh, mage patterns. And stuff, but people still have like superstitions about magic. They have like misconceptions, which is um, interesting. I mean, in our world, the amount of uh, superstitions and uh, uh, magic beliefs is uh, mind-boggling. I mean, what what could you invent when uh, magic is uh, taken for granted? I mean, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. I, and I suppose if magic's real and you you know about all this sort of supernatural and otherworldly phenomena, and it's all kind of established, does that Sort of dampened superstition, or does it cause it to just no, spiral out of control? Is, uh, or actually uses magic. Yeah, yeah I mean, mm. you need to be trained. You need to be so on. I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, in the twenty-first century today, people still have lots of uh, misconceptions about um, technology, for instance. I mean, we all use a um, microwave, for instance, but some people think that they'll go, their kids will have two heads if they uh, stand <laughs> in front of the microwave. So you know. Yeah. So then now uh, we have Yanos. Uh, he comes to like um, comes home to his house in Unta, which is the capital. And yeah, I like the, how like yeah, Erickson does give us a bit of exposition. He's saying at the uh, Unta nobles, for instance, the parent family descended from a bunch of uh, horse barbarians from the east who like mm. who uh, displaced the cousins of the Ipko Khan people, and that that really connected because you know it reflects in the real world how. You have a bunch of uh, barbarians or whatever to take over everything. And a few centuries later, they're the cultured nobles or whatever. It's kind of like in uh, in Europe where you had uh, the Franks and they conquered uh, Gaul. And uh, a few uh, a few hundred years later, you have them like being the kingdom of France of uh, troubadours and uh, knights and whatever, speaking like a, a nice soft tongue. But uh, it's uh, really, uh, really immersive. Mm. Uh, you actually uh, you you skipped um, where Parent turns up in the throne room. Oh, uh, you sk- my you skipped that. that reminds me of uh, Tywin uh, Lannister. No, yeah, at the weird. end of the Battle of Blackwater, where he yeah. just rides in on his own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except, uh, I think slightly less. Um, yeah. Slightly less refined. I don't think Parent was quite under control. He sort of flies out of this warren, <laughs> doesn't know where he is, skids, the war- the skids war- into the middle of the throne what, room on a horse. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really like that because he's uh, he's had sort of quite a day of sort of success and he, he knows that he's sort of advanced and he's done well, but uh, he's, he gets knocked down a peg or two by Lucene. And I was surprised that she recognised him as well. She's you know, she, means, uh, I don't know I she, she remembered meeting him seven years ago on this uh, on the parapet with, uh, with yeah, Whiskey well, Jack, which I mean, is impressive. Been, it must have been a very important night for her. I mean, that's much she became empress and so on. So mm. maybe, I don't know. 
And so, yeah, then we meet two uh, sort of uninformed characters so far when um, Parent comes home. The first is the household guard who actually recognized him from a tapestry, which is impressive, I have to say. Uh, that gamut. Mm-hmm. Our dude. Then we have his um, icy cold sister, Tavore. How do you pronounce it? Tavore? I pronounce it Tavore. I pronounce it Tavore, so that's, that's I good. I used to pronounce it Tavore, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, it was a pr- pretty good uh, chapter, especially like the uh, prophecies, like uh, all the cryptic uh, like wording that makes sense now. Uh, so, do you have a name for this chapter? Um, this one, uh, let me think. What did the what did Reddit have to say about it? Uh, let's see. We have uh, prod and pull from one humble as fudge, uh, and my favorite is the apologetic girl. <laughs> Scratch, SKR for whatever. Yeah. And uh, Rupa here has a. Uh, Push and pull, which yeah, is also another a kind of thing we didn't really touch about it, like how the gods are uh, total assholes. <laughs> um, I like I like the wax witch because wax. Uh, which was dry uh, on Reddit. Uh, yeah. I, I like that just because um, the first, as I say, the first time round when I read this, I really didn't pay much attention to to Riga and her, her ramblings and her candles and all the rest of that stuff, but. Um, it really struck me uh, the the accuracy of her premonition and and the, the timeliness of it because literally within fifteen minutes everything she says has come true. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure everything came true, but of course we can't really talk about that. So. No, but uh, everything was uh, it's so, so well the the things that she says all all sort of come out and it's it's pretty. Yeah. Pointed, and it's something that, as I say, completely passed me by the first time round. So I think I'm gonna have to give a shout out to Riga, and uh, <laughs> go, I'll I'll go with the the wax witch for this one. Um, uh, I came up with my own name. Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it. that kind of echoes my thoughts. Really, there's a lot uh, that you don't pick up the first time, but looking back, you really kick yourself when you read these books the second time. Although I don't know if you really need to kick yourself. I mean, I think that's the, the whole point of uh, rereading. I mean, I, there was this guy on the Reddit thread, he said he, he was going to continue in the um, spin-off on E.N.C. Esselmont books. He said, I need to finish my fourth reread first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they are the books that keep giving. It's just the more you read, the more you notice, and it's these little details and how they all tie together that really sort of gives you that reread value that that isn't always present in a in a big fantasy series. So yeah. Okay, let's move on to chapter two. So yes, chapter two is uh, voted number one for confusion in a fantasy series, nineteen ninety nine. No, I mean, it's even more confusing in Chapter 1 if you, if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, so, yeah, this is the one with the uh, infamous uh, Fall of Pale. Uh, so, for some reason, Erickson decides to do the, this thing where he opens with uh, Tattersail, with basically a point of view from another chapter, like deflecting on how she failed in the uh, aftermath of the, the battle, and then he flashes back to... Uh, the morning of the battle and stuff. I'm not. I'm not really sure why I did that. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's possibly as a, a device to kind of add a bit of tension to the upcoming battle because you already know that pretty much everyone's going to die in this battle and it's going to be, you know, really rough. So when when you're going through the briefing and Taishran's there and he's he's laying out what the plan's going to be and all the rest of that, or, Ta- or Taishran, or, I mean, we're going to have some fun with pronunciation. One of the benefits of reading the books is you don't really have to worry about how it sounds. You just look at the word and you know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> when you have to start talking about it out loud, suddenly you're like, how do you pronounce all this yeah, stuff? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean the fact that the fact that when he turns up and he's sort of saying, you know, this is going to happen and that's going to happen, and you've got all the tension between these characters, and you already know that most of them are going to die, it kind of sort of does add a bit more edge to that to that uh, briefing, I think. Did uh, actually most of those who were in the tent? Didn't, I don't think most of them died. I mean, Kalad died. And uh, Hairlock turned into a puppet. Uh, but other than that, uh, Tayshran's alive, Dujek's alive, well, Whiskey Jack. Yeah, so I, I don't mean that the people in the temp, but just yeah. the, like sort of the army in general is yeah. is pretty much destroyed as a result of the the upcoming battle. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, moving on to like the flashback, we have we basically open with the um, with uh, T- with Tattersail and Kalat in their tent after a nice night and you know they're, ju- they're just talking about they have no idea what's going to happen they're just uh, just another night in this boring city and uh, just another morning uh, it kind of emphasizes that you know you, you never know what, what's going to happen yeah you, you wake up look normally through breakfast and who knows you could be dead yeah, yeah. which which is a pretty common outcome in the Malzahn universe <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just uh, they just both get the the magical summons, don't they? And then that's it. It's, it's business time. That's where uh, go. Yeah, you know, Hairlock. I think we have to talk about Hairlock for a few minutes now. <laughs> uh, I mean, that that guy. He's unlikable. He's just this. He he's that jerk, uh, like creepy guy in the back of the classroom, uh, basically. Yeah, but he's a, he's a great character though. He's so entertaining. He's just he always knows more than anyone else, and he doesn't want to let on. And he's sort of he's very confrontational with everyone around him. He's 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 a good character to put into this mix because just because of the sort of the chaos that him being in that situation causes. Yeah. Because he's just such a jerk to everyone. <laughs> Remember that part where Tattersail mocks and saying uh, the camp followers demand uh, double the coin from <laughs> poor guy. I guess uh, you do other things with the energy. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so then we go into the tent and uh, Tayshran is basically telling them how they're going to attack Moonspawn. And Tayshran is like coming in and says, "Oh, hello!" Is like, "Hello, kids! This is what we're going to do." And I'm playing more. I'm amazing. I'm behind the page. Everyone listens to me. He's a uh, he's a character. Yeah, uh, and I I really like um, I really like the Calot character. Um, he's uh, he seems like a really nice sort of funny guy. Um, he almost makes Do Jack laugh, uh, which which Tattersail notes as being something of an achievement in and of itself, uh, which is really nice because you get the idea of Do Jack being this sort of really gruff. Uh, sort of old, 79 years old he is at the start of this briefing which yeah. means that when he was running around fighting in the riot in the prologue, he was 72 years old <laughs> Actually 
it's explained somewhere. I can't. Uh, I can't, I don't think I can talk about it right now. But it, it is explained how everyone is uh, so old. Uh, how do? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, we are, we already know that Kalot's over a hundred years old, and later yeah. on in this chapter, it turns right. out that Tatasail herself is. She was a Mox lover. Thirty-nine, or? Yeah, she was like the lover of that guy who ruled uh, Malaz City for the Emperor, uh, uh, Mock. Yeah, yeah. So she was sort of shacked up with Mock on the night when he was killed, and all the rest. So she's she's been around for for a long time, and uh, yeah. she's seen it all really. Uh, so, yeah, then there's this somewhat odd scene where, like, no, no one knows, everyone's playing the, guess, the, uh, Lord of Moonspawn game, uh, where, uh, like, then they figure out, oh, he must switch his DMDI, how do you pronounce his DMDI, uh, uh, and then they start, uh, Whiskey, Tattersail and Kalat start reciting this poem called the, uh, Anamandaris, which is mm. odd. Like, uh, how, how did how they hear about this guy? It's, it's actually not even the excerpts they're talking about. It isn't even about uh, Animander. It's about Caledon Brood. Yeah. The Mentier one. I think, uh, I think it's sort of just one sort of small excerpt from the, the poem, which is chiefly about Animander, but obviously this yes. particular passage refers to Brood. I think we get quite a few little excerpts from... Uh, Anamandaris by Fisher, uh, Fisher that, down the road. Yeah. Fisher's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, Fisher. so yeah. Then they start calling him the Maid of Chaos, which is weird, really odd because I don't. Apparently, I think in this book, this book, the like early on when Erickson was starting to write the series, that darkness equals chaos. Like later on, there's a reference to the Warren of Corrald Galen, which is chaotic or something, which uh, doesn't prop up at all later. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's something to do with the Elder Warrens being closer to chaos than than the sort what of more is modern chaos? ones. It's, always, but... it's been one of the elusive things. Is uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's just the, well, it's okay. ill-defined, ill-defined sort of very bad thing very bad. <laughs> that very exists. Bad. Stay away. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, of course after the uh, huge massacre in which that guy. Um, Tayshun seems to appears a turn on the uh, Malazans. We uh, ta- ta- we flash back to the present and we have Tattersail standing over the kind uh, of half body of Hairlock. And then guess who shows up? The Bridge Burners. Oh yeah. <laughs> the Bridge Burners, who were seem were lucky they escaped like that one tunnel when it was collapsing or whatever, whatever, whatever that was. So. Yeah, like they're, 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 it's kind of funny to think that there were used to be like thousands of bridge runners. Uh, yeah, like they were a whole sort of regiment or a division yeah, or whatever they were of this army, and sort of over the years, uh, you find it sort of emerges that since Lassine's took over in particular, uh, she's just been throwing them into the worst end of every conflict, and uh, yeah. you get the impression that the one against the um, modern regular guy. Uh, yeah. So yeah, but especially here, they get basically they all get almost all get slaughtered. Like only like thirty. There's that thing where like um, like uh, Tyrese asks Whiskey Jack Council just if you have this morning a uh, hundred and like uh, and and now twenty something like that. 
Yeah, I, th- I think later on someone says that, oh yeah, uh, a young woman's voice spoke directly behind Tattersail. We numbered 1400 this morning, sorceress. That's sorry, of course. This sorry. this creepy girl oh with, with dead eyes. <laughs> yeah. No emotion, and she's just kind of so, uh, so uh, sort of unconcerned about this horrendous situation that... You, they're in and that all the deaths that have happened on that day she's just kind of oh you know i'm I'm just here chilling (laughs) yeah so sorry like every every, they may basically make a note everyone in this chapter has to relate on how creepy sorry is (laughs) like uh i think yeah there's even in like uh where we have our first scene of many between quick van and calam um or like saying, you know, that girl, she's fucking very psychotic. <laughs> and she's yeah. like 16, something like that. I mean, wow. Yeah, and I, I love that there's a bit uh, sort of right towards the end where Whiskey Jack's kind of reflecting on her. Um, and he's talking about uh, he's got this 15 year old girl and she's got quick Ben terrified and he won't tell me why. <laughs> and, it's, and we've already had this kind of massive unveiling of power from quick Ben doing this sort of soul shifting that's never oh, been yeah. done for a, for a thousand years or something like that. So we already get the idea that he's this you know guy not to be messed with. He's got power. He's no no shrinking violet. And this little girl has got him absolutely terrified. <laughs> And he, yeah. won't, he doesn't even want to explain why he's just so on edge. Uh, yeah. So then, then we have uh, Callum, like, has, says this, like, cool, cool tagline to uh, Tavis. It's like, answers aren't easily attained. Will you pay the price? Yeah, mm. I, I like that part. It's like, where basically they all decide they hate Jason. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess is justified considering the it's funny it's like like the uh well we hate taster in inaugural convention <laughs> although it's it's never or at least at this point it's it's not clear if he's just careless with the lives of others or if he is deliberately sort of uh acting on on a on an agenda to try and wipe out the, this army and these other mages but i mean certainly a lot of the characters have, have made up their minds about it already hairlock uh, has got a pretty good idea about how he feels uh tattersail has a revelation towards the end where she's like yeah tation did this on purpose i'm gonna yeah. kill this guy <laughs> yeah so also the, the there's a bit i just have to talk about with the Moranth, like, the Moranth blue uh, legions were like, I think it was the blues. Anyway, so they, they were basically allied with the Empire, and uh, once the the city falls, they decide they have to kill it, they killed everyone, basically, almost everyone in uh, the city, which is, like, because they were, like, trade rivals or something, and I'm like, dude, that's not cool. I mean, otherwise, I like the Moranth, especially munitions and flying things. But... Yeah, the, the Moranth are really cool, but... um. And to be honest, I think later on in the books he kind of tones down this this sort of sinister side to them. It's just in this sort of opening chapter we get this hour of blood <laughs> where, where they just exacted a massacre on this on this city that's already been through you know a giant flying sky mountain castle exploding in midair and oh, yeah. shattering the, <laughs> showering the people with debris and magic and all the rest of this stuff so it's already a complete shit show in that city and then just to make matters even worse the Moranth go in to just kill for an hour solid just because they don't like them yeah well the truth is uh, the Moranth uh, 
must be famous for their munitions. <laughs> Those guys. <laughs> Actually, in fact, um, this chapter one, no, this chapter, it started with the excerpt from this uh, Imperial Campaigns, which I, I really wish Ericsson would like, write a full version of that. Imperial Campaigns by uh, Imbrint Holodant. Anyway, so basically talks about how uh, how there's like an alliance between the Malzans and the Moranth, and that basically turns the tide for the war in Jinnakis. Oh, oh yeah, it's a, it's a complete game changer, isn't it? They just come in with, and it completely revolutionizes the way that Malazans do do warfare. Yeah. Um, because um, now they've got this this uh, these sort of new advantages that they can press against their enemies, and uh, they, they do that pretty effectively. <laughs> well, for all the horrible stuff the Morons did this time, uh, we have them to thank for saboteurs. I mean, the, you. Malzahn is not Malzahn without the saboteurs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the grenados and the, the cussers Sharpers. and all the rest, of the, the sharpers and the flamers and all that stuff, it really sort of adds a, a, a more sort of contemporary feel to, yeah. to the fact that they're fighting not just with swords and bows and spells, but they are starting to bring technology to the fore. And in fact, even the, the Malazan crossbow is something of a technological marvel in, in that kind of set. You know, even yeah, but I, not I like this. <laughs> actually, he tried to get crossbows banned at some point because it was just not funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great that this is an. Un, uh, well, I suppose we still have similar ideas now about what's a fair and unfair sure, way to do war. Yeah. The Pope, but, uh, I guess to, to our eyes, it's kind of like ridiculous that the Pope. <laughs> yeah. Decide, but yeah. Uh, let's see. Then, uh, so, near near the end of the chapter, we have uh, Tattersail Consulting, the Deck of Dragons. The Deck. So, this is actually the first of many times that the Deck is consulted. And, as always, it's Erickson's way to wake us up. Kind of like the uh, uh, surprise uh, symphony. Like, uh, yeah, you were sleeping this whole chapter, but you're not going to get anything unless you uh, uh, pay attention. That's uh, basically what happens. And, like, Tattersail is taunting you or something? Maybe it's like, uh, yeah, I knew you'd use the deck. Uh, yeah. It's also called the Fatigue for some reason. Uh, I don't know. I guess that was just too cool. I think I think Fatigue might be a, a kind of a real name term for the tarot as well. Because uh, it's it's obviously the, the deck of dragons is very simple, very similar to tarot cards that we have in our kind in our own reality. Exactly. You know, with the gypsy fortune tellers except yeah these are much cooler um, but it's it's obviously that draws inspiration from there and i think that fatigue might be a, a real world uh, term for uh, tarot cards but i'm uh, happy to be corrected on that <laughs> google will be employed uh, um it seems to be an arabic word which doesn't surprise is it a scrabble word <laughs> <laughs> i don't know well, I guess we can leave that. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, there's a lot of, uh, once again, the predictions of things you'll feel cool if you pay attention to now. So all of you uh, first-time readers, uh, um, um, I hope you paid attention because if you did, you can feel it. You can, like, write in and say how, how smart you felt. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then uh, let's go. What do you have about these notes? Oh, yes. Major hint about sorry. 
Uh, puppets are creepy. Oh my god! Like, where in Erickson's imagination did that? Let's have a character who's who's a who's a living uh, puppet. Yeah, I mean, like puppets weren't scary enough, and now you've got this sort of borderline psychotic mage oh using one as a vessel. <laughs> uh, listeners, if one of you is that guy who keeps posting the amazing art, uh, amazing demon art of uh, characters on uh, our Malzahn, uh so could you please uh, do in like an illustration, like uh, have uh, Hairlock watching the Tower's Tale read the deck, like he was like hanging back, being like creepy, like hey girl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just want this this picture of Tattersail doing the deck with this little sort of nine inch tall weird puppet standing on his shoulder looking at him. <laughs> Sounds a bit like um, you, you, you know what I think of? I think of those uh, Guardians of the Universe, those little blue things. <laughs> oh yeah. Except uh, creepy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean he's puppets and things like that are generally sort of quite creepy, but this one's creepier than most. <laughs> Yeah, and we have the coin, uh, the famous coin, ends this chapter, uh, Rodan coin, <laughs> mm. uh, which is weird, I mean, uh, it took me at least like three reads of this book to get what the coin is talking about, <laughs> and uh, I hope, uh, uh, first, listener, first time readers, uh, I suggest you listen along, because once it's like revealed, we can talk about it, and maybe you'll get for top what the coin is, because... Otherwise, you'll be confused. So, yeah, plug. Um, yeah. And I love the way, uh, in, uh, again, in the reading, we get um, sort of how Rake and uh, other characters are being already, it, it, to my mind, as a, as a first-time reader at least. Um, the first time I read through, I was like, well, this Anamanda Rake, he's obviously a bad guy. I mean, he's a literal dark lord, and he's got a fly, <laughs> and he's got a fly. <laughs> no, but you know, there's like the dark, the dark lord is Sauron. The dark lord is yeah. in uh, Wheel of Time. It's always a dark lord, and this time you've got a literal dark lord. He's black. He's got white hair. He's called the Mane of Chaos. Sounds he's like some sort of super badass mage and he's got a flying castle made of black rock and it's just oh, yeah. like how much is he sort of building this trope up <laughs> so that he can <laughs> uh, so and and where's he going to go with it but you know it, initially you feel like this is obviously a, a, a very bad person and the nature of the magic he unleashes on the soldiers is described as being necrotic again kind of it has a sort of a fell association of being un- you know not sort of nice magic. <laughs> Although, is there any, any really nice magic in uh, Malzahn except maybe for the Denul Warren, which is like the Warren of Healing? Uh, I can't really think of really nice magic because it's all uh, burn and... Uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, but I think we see different ways of doing it. I mean, there's, I mean, I suppose you could argue there's not much difference in being burned alive to being rotted alive. <laughs> But um, other other magic is certainly more just on sort of a base level. It in, in, instinctively feels cleaner, I suppose. Like uh, is it Tatian's Thea Warren that's sending sort of light-coloured waves of flame and stuff like that? Oh, so yeah, that's sort ways. of lightness versus darkness and that kind of sort of traditional uh, duality that you get. That's interesting because I, I didn't know it's like it's a thing we have like evil, like burning light. They, I, that might have like worked uh, better in a visual setting, but, um, yeah, now that you pointed out, it's interesting, like, yeah, break, the Dark Lord, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he is a walking trope, uh, for certainly for the for the for the initial parts of this book. Yeah. He's just like built up as this big dark bad guy and. Bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, I think we can move on to the uh, names. Uh, from Reddit, we have our, as always, we have Meet the Bridge Burners from Aeolus. Uh, Humble as Fudge suggests Tigris the Little or Siege, which is well simplistic. I think my favorite this time I actually have to go with Dre, which is uh, always an even trade, which, yeah, I think yeah. that makes sense. It's, uh, yeah, it's repeated at least like, three or four times. What, what, Adam, I, can you explain to me, what were they talking about? What even trade? It's just um, whenever, um, it's. I think it's mentioned in this chapter when uh, Tattersail and Kalot are about to enter the command tent. And the um, the guard on the door tips them off that something's up, and and she's like, oh, you know, thanks very much. And he's like, you know, no problem, always an even trade. And that's uh, kind of one of the mottos of uh, I don't know if it's the Bridge Burners or the Malazan Army in general, um, but it certainly comes up pretty regularly throughout the series. And it's sort of like, you know, you do something for me, I do something for you, we help each other. It's always an even trade. I think I think it was like I think Dujek said that actually uh, at the briefing. Uh, Possibly, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, from Rupo, we have a Ninth Squad, Second Army, which I assume is the Bridge Burners. Yes. Yeah. The Bridge Burners. Well then, now uh, we're done with the uh, first uh, three sections here of uh, Gardens of the Moon, and uh, it's time for the customary plugs. Uh, we have a Facebook page, as some of you are aware. Uh, for some reason, it's not normal. It's like not normal. You have to add like these numbers at the end of the address. So I suggest you just go go to Facebook and search for Miles on FM podcast. Uh, be sure to like us and to um, comment with your days for the next chapters. Up, we'll be reading two more chapters next episode. Um, I don't know if maybe we could squeeze in another one. Uh, I'm well, not I'm, sure. Although two ta- two chapters takes us to the end of the first book. Which is pale, yeah. Because uh, I, th- I think the first four chapters are sort of arranged in a in a sort of mini book within a book, if I've got that right. Or... Uh, yeah. So well, yeah, I, I think don't, if I we... don't have the book with me right now, so I can I've check. Got, or... got it in front of me. Yeah, the first four chapters uh, are concerned with pale, and then book two moves on to Darujistan. So oh, if we do, Although... so if we do three and four next next uh, time round, and then we can look at maybe taking the whole of. Daru just stand on in there uh, in one go. Uh, but how many we'll see is, how... uh, book two? Uh, it's only three, five, oh. six, and seven. So it might be worth trying to knock that one out in a single episode, and then. Yeah, that would be cool because uh, I really can't wait to get to Darujistan. Uh, yeah, I, I love that place. It's my absolute favorite location in the series. Um, whenever we turn up on uh, Genabacus in general as a continent, I really like. Um, I like the plot lines that take place there, but I've got a lot of time for Jerusalem. It's just, it seems like a really great city. I love this idea of this sort of jewel of Genabacus with its, yeah. all the cool stuff that's going on there. And yeah, I really like it. And plus it's, it's got some of the best characters in the series oh, are yeah. there as well <laughs> without giving too much away. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we also, uh, we're also going to add a thread on the Miles on Empire forum soon. And oh, course, sweet. I, I suppose uh, most of you are from Armazon, and uh, if you comment on the thread, we'll, we'll be posting this uh, 
this episode on. Uh, so yeah, I hope you all enjoyed uh, listening, and um, uh, be sure to be with us next time, uh, whenever that is. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, Hope, hopefully in about two weeks' time. <laughs> uh, I guess so. Yeah, about two weeks. It's been two, two time. Thank you.